proceeding from the great commission given by Jesus to make disciples of all nations, the early church exploded and countless souls were made new by the atoning work of Christ. Dead hearts were made alive and churches sprouted up throughout the world. As a need for clear and concise biblical interpretation arose, the Reformed Confessions of the Faith were written and still have a major impact on the Church today. The Confessional Collective desires to see healthy, theologically sound churches planted and on mission for the Kingdom of Christ. Welcome to the Confessional Collective. Welcome to the Confessional Collective, where truth meets mission. My name is Aaron Carr. I am your host, as well as the pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan. In today's podcast, we have a returning guest, Jeremy Roth, who's a church planner in Dearborn, Michigan, a church that First Pres helps start. And we want to talk today specifically about the problem of suffering. Suffering is a reality that we all face. The fall of Adam and Eve brought death and pain and sorrow and guilt into this world, and we experience that plight. We know that Romans says the earth is groaning in waiting of anticipation of what will come. And of course, that perfectness that is described in Revelation 21 of no more weeping, no more pain, no more sorrow is something we all long for. But again, we're living in the now of the in-between, and sorrow is a reality. Jeremy, you have been taking your own congregation through 2 Corinthians, and I just want to take a few minutes and share why specifically did you choose that book, and how has it helped your congregation in wrestling with this reality of suffering in this life? A lot of it came out of my passion for something Paul writes, in particular about our identity. My background is coming out of an environment where you kind of make a decision for Christ. And so once you do that, you're, I guess you're good. You have your get out of hell free card. And I I tie it to still a works-based kind of faith because out of that though, that can, that rug can be pulled out from under you unless you stay within the margins of, of the rules of whatever was going on in, in that church I came out of. And so it wasn't that I was being changed or transformed. I had just achieved a ticket into God's good graces. And as I looked at 2 Corinthians 5, 17 in particular, he says, therefore, if anyone is, is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so that's not God taking me to the gym and making me an improved version of myself, he's completely undoing me and something brand new has been done in Christ. And so I've been leading our congregation through that in our very young church plant. And in that process, I'm I'm a big fan of joy. I like what I've heard some pastors talk about. Joy is different than happiness. Happiness is cheap. Joy is something that can last through storms. And as I'm kind of seeing all these things, I, I, I have this new identity. So now I'm an alien living in a world where I'm different and suffering's still there. Sin, as you said, is still present. How do I deal with this as a Christian? And how do I encourage others? If I'm called to make disciples and pastor a congregation, how do I encourage them to endure, and in particular, we've been working through chapter 6 of Corinthians, and, and Paul is pushing hard on people not to enjoy suffering, but the key is to endure the suffering, because it's coming. You're going to suffer in this world. Christ told us you're going to suffer. Our example is a man who hung on a cross, and so we need to learn how to suffer well and endure the suffering, not avoid it, but go into it and do it well. There's a ton of examples of heroes from the faith that have suffered. Um, Whether you look at the biblical examples of a guy like Job, 
or you go to the historical examples of David Brainerd and, and others that have struggled internally. One of my favorite stories is the story of B.B. Warfield and his wife, who had a very severe illness, and she was actually bedridden. And the story is that he literally would not leave her bedside except for the times when he had to go and teach. He actually refused at times uh, invitations to, to leave and to go preach places because he didn't want to leave her side. And you look at that, and yet this man held very strongly in the sovereignty of God, and he believed very heavily in the power of God to heal and to do things that are miraculous. Yet he also trusted God that God just knew what he was doing. I think there's a lot to be said from those stories and those examples, but in our experience, and I'm assuming Dearborn is no different than Trenton, the suffering of our individuals can at times as a pastor make you go, okay, Lord, help me through this one. Help me help help them. Help me explain this. And I mean, is that your experience? Yeah. So I think that every pastor in any city is going to deal with suffering with their people, and we have to be able to give a response. And I think one of the gifts that we have from God's Word is how to walk through that. We see it in Christ. He's constantly looking to his Father. He's the example we have uh, on how to react in suffering. We have Paul, who's writing this letter to the church that he helped start, and he's pleading with them to endure in suffering. I know for, for us in Redeemer, there's suffering that happens with the people. So like uh, my mother-in-law got diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, stage 3 cancer, and watching her go through it and watching the people rally around her, it was really beautiful because she's somebody that, I mean, if she stubs her toe, she's very loud about how she stubbed her toe. Um, But she was so peaceful in that process. Her comfort was in Christ. She said, I can't avoid this suffering, but I'll endure it with Christ. And so she had joy in the midst of all of it even when it was unknown and it was painful and uh, she lost her hair. And uh, I remember um, I had the privilege of baptizing her and it was the first time she had ever exposed her head to anybody. And uh, she was more nervous about stepping into the baptismal bald than she was about speaking to the people about what Christ had done in her life. She was an example of what suffering can look like in enduring the, um, the effects of sin. So like when I speak of disease, when I speak of financial suffering, when I, when I speak of any hardship, I say there is a root to it, and it's sin. It's always sin, and the answer will always be Christ, but you won't necessarily find your absolute peace in that here on earth. You're going to find it in Christ, though, ultimately. Let, let's dig a little deeper into what you just said. You said that the root is always sin. Uh, Job's friends thought the same thing. I know that's not what you're preaching, mm-hmm. but you're saying because of Adam and Eve and the fact that this world would know no suffering apart from sin entering the world, but not it's not always directly related because so-and-so did A, that they're having this plight. I mean, I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm assuming this Yeah, one. no, that's exactly right. And as a matter of fact, this uh, if you look in chapter 6 of Second Corinthians, Paul's response, I mean, the, the first six chapters are, are really a big response to the church saying the church of Corinth is, has got some guys that infiltrated the church. They're saying Paul's somebody he's not. Um, and one of the things that they point out about Paul is he says, if he's such a godly guy, why all the suffering? Why is it he can't go somewhere and not get stoned? or kicked out of the town, or someone's always trying to kill this guy. And why does God keep letting him get shipwrecked and bit and every other thing? So here's a man who's constantly suffering, 
and they're saying this there's no way that this guy's of God you know so they're 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 lining with a prosperity gospel idea that clearly God's not on his side because we're not seeing him in the wealth of his faith when it's absolutely the opposite and Paul's enduring these things and um, going through all this suffering. So I think you're bringing out a good point. I'm definitely not saying that suffering is uh, something that it's because of your sinfulness, but because of sin as a whole. We wouldn't, I, I, I don't think we would have cancer if we didn't have sin. We wouldn't have financial strife. We wouldn't have race issues. We, w- we wouldn't have misery. We wouldn't have sinfulness if you didn't have sin. So you wouldn't have suffering ultimately. It's interesting you're you're kind of hitting the, the front door of what we see at a lot of churches is suffering flies in the face of the pos- prosperity gospel. Yeah. And really, if the prosperity teaching was true, we shouldn't have suffering. Right. Because as I'm living by faith in Christ and doing the things he's telling me to do by my obedience, therefore, I should experience the, the yellow brick road and the joy of, of that experience. But even the most wealthy experience suffering, and yet the guy who equally is walking with Jesus and loves Jesus, he experiences suffering. And that's because suffering is in the world. Suffering is part of the fallen DNA, if you will, where we live, where we operate. And yet we long for a day when it won't be like that. But living now is, that's our experience. And so it does fly in the face of the prosperity teaching. But specifically, what are some passages that have really spoken to you through 2 Corinthians? I think that something that's really kind of stuck out to me was what I actually just ended up preaching on. Paul's pleading with the church in Corinth in uh, 2 Corinthians 6, starting verse 11. He says, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. And he's calling out their affections. And what he's he's saying is, you're not focusing on Christ. You're focusing on all these outward things and not even on the Word of God. You're not focusing on the transformation we just talked about and um, the reconciliation that's taking place. And, you know, back when he's talking about reconciliation in the prior chapter, he's not just speaking about the reconciliation between God and and man. He's, He's trying to bring reconciliation between him and them. And it's not he goes on after that and says um, that he's not been an obstacle. And I think what he's pointing to is don't let me be an obstacle between you and God. I haven't been. My work has always been to point that follow me as I'm following Jesus. So even in your suffering, even in your suffering. And, you know, something he brought up, people don't want to suffer. Nobody likes suffering. I've never seen any pastor get up or any person say, man, I just really enjoyed that hangnail. That was, that was remarkable. Nobody, Nobody likes that. But I found that I've had joy in the endurance when I go, wow, I made it through that. I mean, when we started the church, we, we experienced suffering in ways that I've never experienced before. And I wouldn't say it was necessarily demonic. I would say that it was perhaps some of God's grace letting some things surface in my marriage with other people we were planting with that I'm not, I'm not going to share right now, but it was tremendous, and it was really pain. It was the darkest time of my life, and it was the most painful time of my life. But I'm on the other side of that and grateful because I learned some things that I would not have known if I had not suffered through them. And thanks be to God, as we walked with Him through that process, we found joy. So what we're really getting out of this at this point is that suffering is to be expected. Suffering doesn't mean you're not walking with Jesus, and that suffering can actually be used for our good. I mean, that's, these are the things I hear you saying. Is that, is that what you're saying? 
Yeah, and I think it's part of maturing as a Christian. You're not going to be—Christ calls us to go make disciples. I don't think he was telling the 11, soon to be 12, go make disciples. This was something that was for the church to go and do. And if you're going to be a good disciple maker, you, you have to have gone through some stuff. And, and we see James talking, he says, count it all joy— my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And in some translations, it talks about endurance or maturity, and that God is bringing you to maturity. And I think that's going to partially come through suffering, through tribulation. If, I mean, you, you can't be a good football player if you don't know how to take a hit, how to, how to deal with pain, how to deal with opposition. And it's the same thing in Christianity. So if, if the prosperity gospel isn't correct, there's, a, there's another type of gospel that's more uh, popular today, which I'll call the poverty gospel. People that are intentionally going to say, I will suffer for Christ. So they're, they're seeking it out in a sense that um, I must be more holy if I suffer. And I think Second Corinthians hits that as well, that, that both the prosperity gospel is wrong and the poverty gospel is wrong. And it's, it, can you speak to that a little bit? I think in particular, as far as the difference between like the prosperity and, the, and what we'll call the poverty gospel, which is no gospel at all, is we either expect too little or too much from God, and, and both are wrong. And it's not that God can't and doesn't supply all of our needs, because I think he does first and foremost in Christ. Um, but then in just the, the everyday things of life. And so we, if we expect too much from God, as you said, then we begin to start going, well, you just need more faith. As a matter of fact, I, I've been talking to somebody, I've been corresponding with somebody who's got a, a friend who goes to a church where they preach high on this prosperity gospel. And if you have enough faith, you can be healed from anything. And this person is dealing with, I think it's her father who's dying of cancer. And what's so shameful about that is faith is a gift. Yeah. And then you're putting the weight and responsibility, just have more faith, more faith, more faith, and the way it drains people. But yeah, go ahead. I just... And, and, and just to go off that too, it's, it, now it's all on you. Who's now the center of all of this? It's not the power of God. It's not Jesus. And now you're having to somehow earn this, this ability that, as you said, it's a gift. And every one of us is given a different measure. If God is truly sovereign, which I believe he is, he has a reason for doing everything, and it's ultimately for his glory, which we find our joy in. So, But as far as the poverty gospel, it's like you're expecting too little. And it's, it's, it pulls back to the whole monastic style, that if I just go live in a cave, if I'm going to go be a hermit, I'll be closer to the Lord. So by giving up all these things, I'll, I'll have a better relationship. And, and well, I, I appreciate what's been written a lot on the blogosphere about simple life and simplicity. And there's truth to that because there's some sense in which we've become so materialistic. The answer isn't, well, if I give all these things away, then I'll have a right relationship with God. Because that's as works-based as much as trying to have enough faith to be healed. Both of those miss, as you say, the gospel, which is that it is a gift. It's, it's grace, not earned, but given. Yeah, a a absolutely, and it—I mean—it really breaks my heart as a pastor. I, 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 part of my background is being at a church where we did a lot of uh, altar calls, you know. So at the end of a service, um, we'd invite people up who needed prayer, and uh, there would be times I'd be part of a team of men that would pray with people coming up. And I remember in particular one young lady who would come up for prayer virtually every time that that altar was open, and request. I just need help for my salvation. 
she didn't understand the finished work of Christ. She understood that she needed to earn it somehow. And both of these false gospels end up leading to a form of legalism where Christ, the work of Christ on the cross and the resurrection is, not, is just not a complete work. Therefore, it's no gospel at all. I remember uh, some time ago I was preaching through a series and I was given the idea of God's will and I, I gave the example, all things being equal, marry the pretty one. You know, and I think sometimes we take the attitude that if I marry the ugly one, I'll be more holy, you know, uh, because I'm enduring for the cause of Christ or something like that. And and it's weird how that sinks in to our DNA, where even where we maybe attend gospel preaching churches, we think that by suffering, we are more holy. And we forget that it's by the grace of God that we make it through the trials and the tribulations. And that's what we see when Paul talks about the, the, the working of these trials do produce. It's not something we produce. It's how God uses them to produce in us that new creature, that new creation that he is making us into image Christ more and more and more in our lives. And it's just how simple it is to take a slight step away and it becomes works-based, either in the prosperity side or the poverty side. And something like suffering can be used to expose that in our walk. Yeah. And then the other side of this too that I would add is that it seems like we have a group uh, of people, and I I won't say it's a generation, uh, like I wouldn't say it's the the millennials. I would just say people in general have made the, the conscious decision to avoid suffering. And so we're not real with each other. We don't have real conversations with one another um, because we don't want to offend. We don't want to hurt feelings. And, and say, and what I'm getting to with this is that sometimes the suffering is that there's a relational suffering because you have a problem with Christ, and so repentance isn't taking place. Confession's not taking place, and we're not confronting sin. And we have to be willing to to do that with one another and endure suffering together. I really like what you just did there. I, I think a lot of reform folks who love to hobby horse on. I know the eschatology, we'll go after the dispensational teaching of rapture. Well, it's escapism. It's the idea that you don't have to endure, you don't have to suffer. But what we're seeing is that there's a lot of quasi-reformed Christian people that aren't really willing to engage in relationship and disciple one another because of the suffering that comes through relationships. There's a cost in relationship. And I think it's not just attacking a theological idea, but also understanding we need to be consistent in our walk and pouring into others that suffering is going to be experienced. And it is something that we need to be ready for and not holding to a prosperity nor a poverty gospel, but trusting that God is using it to work out his perfect will in and through us. And I think that's where guys like John Piper have helped the conversation immensely, right? When he says things like, don't waste your cancer. And it's for the benefit of the community. It's for the benefit of evangelism. It's for the benefit of discipleship. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that if you if you look at, for example, why Paul suffered, why did Christ suffer? We can look at suffering for from disease or social things that are going on. Maybe it's death in the family. There's all kinds of suffering, but the kind of suffering that I want to push people towards is first and and foremost, you have Jesus. No matter what your suffering is, you're never alone. The Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead lives and dwells with you. And there's promises that we can look forward to in the midst of all of our suffering. But these guys were, they both suffered. I just called Jesus a guy. These guys just both suffered 
and it was because of the gospel truth. It was for our reconciliation, our redemption, or the message of that. And as Christians, as I'm trying to raise up disciples within the church, whether it's from the pulpit on a Sunday or in, you know, some of our, we, we call them round tables, our, our small groups that we meet up to do discipleship with, I have to constantly challenge them to be willing to have honest conversations with other people. And that's a that's a challenge because, as I said, people don't want to be confrontational. But they want to be arrogant. But isn't it some of those some of those honest conversations are always centered on our sufferings, our our hangups, our hurts, um, our trials, and that's where we have to get honest with people. Our habitual sins, our our tendency to blow up and lose our temper. These are things where we recognize the the groanings of within us the 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 work of Christ is groaning against us in the sense that it's it, we're longing for that perfection but the opportunity to discuss with one another our failures our our misery our sufferings is an opportunity a golden opportunity to encourage and strengthen one another yeah absolutely if if you know talking about my mother-in-law who had the uh the the cancer if she had if she had talked to any one of us about her cancer experience and we get it and then we we have to go through it i'm encouraged because i remember what she went through and i know she's somebody i can talk to and relate to in that suffering you know same thing if i god forbid i i lose one of my sons somebody that's been through that is somebody that can walk with me through that and how to endure that suffering my own my own testimony is i had a father who had uh, heart issues and he was 50 when i was born so pretty much my whole life i experienced him having heart issues and there were many nights where we spent in a hospital with him on a vent and i can't tell you the number of times that i would just cry out i think it was during those times of suffering of watching his suffering watching his pain that i really learned to pray I learned what it is to to grovel before the Lord and open your heart and really uh, speak and 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 just cry out truly to God. So I think suffering does so many good things. It it does give us the opportunity to be real with one another. It does drive us to the to the throne of grace, and it, it does um, reveal a lot about who we are and kind of the rough edges that still need to be. Because let's be honest, one of our biggest struggles is we don't think we should go through suffering. Uh, maybe them, maybe the people out there, but not us. Uh, we have too high view of ourselves. Just as we kind of wrap things up, is there anything else maybe from what your study of Second Corinthians that you want to take a minute to, to share and, and, and kind of get off your chest as far as this specific topic? I think that if I was going to leave everybody with one thing, it's that what is it that's driving Paul to suffer and endure this and then encourage others to suffer and endure. And it really comes down to Paul is in absolute awe of what God has done and is doing, not just with him, but with the world. That God would love us so much and give up everything that he gave up to bring us home, that he would reconcile us. And so my encouragement would be to, if you're missing that awe of God, if, if that's been gone in you, maybe you've been a, a believer for a long time, and, and that's kind of whittled away at your heart, uh, man, I, I'm encouraging our people, and I'm working through this too, is just going back to the awe of God what and what he's done for us, and letting that be the driving force for why I endure suffering. Well, I know we both would, by adhering to the confession of faith, clearly believe that 
you know, that, that God's will is being done through suffering. And there's comfort in that, knowing that we're in his grip and that this isn't a mistake. This didn't just happen because I, I forgot to, you know, do something on my end. I didn't pray enough. I didn't, I didn't uh, give enough to the church. But that God in all of his sovereignty and all of his control, he is working all things for his glory and our good. And that's Romans 8.28 speaks to a, a, a lifestyle of understanding, trusting, no matter what we face, God's got this. So with that, we'll say goodbye and uh, hope you catch us next week. Thanks for listening to the Confessional Collective Podcast. For more information and resources, please visit confessionalcollective.com and be sure to like our Facebook page.